0: All right. Today we're going to talk about the eldership mind, and I call the eldership mind one that is renewed, sound, and courageous. If we go back to the requirements from Titus one, I broke it down into two primary components. One was you know proper behavior, and the second one was teaching and sound doctrine. And it makes sense for them to go together. One without the other is ineffective and inappropriate. However. The mind, the way one has been regenerated in heart and mind, is very important and seemingly harder to detect, especially if one defers to just good behavior. So I'm going to walk through what one should be able to do. At the end of the day, the elder is responsible for the care of the flock. And part of that is being able to strengthen someone's understanding of God's laws and lead people to a spiritual fullness in Christ. However, one mistake is to think about that leadership role, that eldership role in an abstract way, meaning it's pulled away from the way they interact with people individually and think about it as a group that's helping a pastor or leadership team make administrative decisions. Where do we spend our money? How do we uh, set up another program? What should we do uh, for the next quarter? This is the form of pragmatic carnality, which starts to seep in once you open the floodgates for this approach. It becomes management versus discipleship, authority over relationship, and head knowledge through the world versus God-breathed truth through Scripture. However, it can be fairly easily detected. I've certainly feel I've seen it, but it takes time. So as an example, with one elder, I spent time multiple times, none of the conversation exposed or revealed what I would call the renewed, sound and courageous mind. So what does that mean? What are we looking for, and what does one need to do to develop this? So the first, I would say it's a demonstrated, way of thinking and the resulting actions, and it doesn't conform to the world. That is a way to identify this. And we see how uh, we are rooted in this in Romans twelve two. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is in his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in this verse we see that it's both about mind, which is the renewing of one's mind, but it's about behavior, which is the conforming, the pattern of the world, and the testing. And the testing is acting out in faith on what God wants us to do that's going counter to the way the rest of the world. And so if there are no stories or illustrations or even advice that's given in a way that is different from the world, And by really observing the life and the thinking and their conversation, it's fairly easy to see one can conform, and it's not going to be helpful. Conforming is a very strong force. And so if the, shall we say, the the bastions of the church, the main structure, can't do it, how do you expect the rest of the congregation to be able to do this? Now, it, it doesn't mean to just know it in one's head, and live one's life in a particular way that's according to Scripture and not the world, although that's certainly the most important part. But it it does uh, reveal itself in how one speaks and lives. Speaking reveals one's thinking. And uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We, meaning talking about all in the body of Christ, all who are regenerated and believers, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So that thought captive is primarily their own thinking, but in conversation with other people, help to shape, steer, and to destroy the arguments. And that doesn't mean to be argumentative. It means to understand somebody and individuals or a body uh, in congregations um, view of worldly arguments and to shift those, to make the case backed by an understanding of Scripture of why that path may lead to destruction. This is why the third part is important, which is courageous. Most people don't want to say something that can be offensive. But both Ezekiel 3, 1821, which is longer, and I'll summarize that, and in the New Testament, James five, nineteen twenty. 20 So I'll quote from James 5, and then I'll paraphrase Ezekiel. From James five, nineteen twenty, 20 My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So this is super important. And with this elder, and we don't know for sure because we didn't, as much, but I had talked about an issue. Um, he said he himself would uh, do it go one way. I brought up the other side, which was why I was in a dilemma, and immediately shifted. Um, and it felt like he was pivoting more on why I was praising the other side to gain agreement and to remove conflict, as opposed to asking, But what do you think about those other side? Oh, I see those two sides. Let me weigh it for you. Um, I shared uh, the response from this particular elder with other elders. And I said, that's very strange. An elder should ask, well, what's your motive? What's going on in your thinking? But as I reflect on other interactions with him, it was about aligning so that he felt no conflict, which is very selfish. Let's take a look at Ezekiel, which really, I think, underlines. Now, while the context might be slightly different, where God is speaking uh, to the prophet, um It echoes much of what James 5 is, which is, speak something if you sense something is wrong. Help somebody make the right decision. And then he says, well, if you warn the wicked and he doesn't turn, then you will have delivered your soul. But he also says that um, if you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. So in, in both of these, there, there does a, be, seem to be a requirement from God to his people, and especially his leaders, to be able to say something, to correct somebody. And in Ezekiel, there's a payment for failing to do so. And so with this particular elder, it didn't seem like he was trying to find what is the truth, the guide. It was more important for him to be on whatever decision I made. And think about that being amplified. And, and we'll go back to one of the examples which showed it was less important that someone make a right decision but an uncomfortable statement than for him to be able to say, I'm conflict-free. This is not a good sign of leadership, especially within a church. Someone needs to be able to speak truth that is counter, and we'll see that the core of a Christian is, in fact, to be able to do that because the very nature of spreading the gospel is itself going to be offensive. And so this elder, the fact that he valued himself and this being um, agreeable, more important than getting into the, into the details and trying to figure out what is a hard decision, uh, revealed actually a lot. Ephesians 4.14 shows that uh, we're not to be someone who's easily tossed to and f- throw. Here he's talking about doctrine, but it's the same thing. It's If we're appealing to someone versus being in sound doctrine, but we care more about the other person's opinions and our own stature, that's not a good sign. Ephesians 4.14 says, So that we may no longer be children, Tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And so, uh, those are the th- three big characteristics that I think really matter. Renewed, renewed mind; they have sound teaching and sound doctrine behind it, and they're courageous and be able to express it. This is a very powerful way to detect whether someone really has those characteristics, because it takes time. Um, Most of that transformation needs to come from the beginning from Scripture. If the exposure of your Scripture is the snippets in church and the small snippets in a CG, certainly you will not be successful. Uh, Over a 10-year period, if that's the extent, it's probably not going to be that transformative. Deuteronomy 11:18 says, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and your soul and you shall bind them as a sign of your hand and they shall be frontless between your eyes. That is a very different prioritization and it's a good way to show. Someone can't fake the absence of, of real uh, study and application and transformation and a desire over a 10-year period if all they do is so superficial. And then the last is just Constantly kind of like pressing when somebody advises something, what is it? Is it worldly wisdom or is it godly wisdom? First Corinthians 3.19, for the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Remember the story of this particular elder who countered um, a, a desire for people to grow in scripture in the way of the Bereans. He was relying on worldly wisdom, as well as a fear of uh, being in the middle of conflict. That is actually the sign of someone you do not want in a leadership position. Uh, Leading people astray from Scripture showed that there wasn't an understanding of what Scripture called for. And then the second one was um, believing that conflict, which we'll talk about in a separate session, is to be avoided at all costs. The expense of wisdom is also a, a bad sign and a poor seed to plant within, the team, within any church.